in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Obviously, I love Easter, and not just because it's required for like pastors to love it, but I, I do love it. Jennifer and I were even noting that there was a little more traffic on the road this morning on the way to church, and that is apparent. We all got the memo to, to be here today. Everybody looks good, got fresh haircuts. Yes, I shaved. It's Mark. It's still my voice. Cal Schwarber went away. Uh, here I am. Uh, but it's great to preach here today. I love Easter for all sorts of reasons, all the obvious stuff, but I love it, love it, love it, because God always gives us something really special and I think different for Easter morning. We're not in a series today. We're just going to preach a message that I, I really believe if you'll listen and you'll hear and believe and obey, it'll change your life. And I know what you think, and he probably says that every week. I do. I do. And I believe it every week. I believe it every week. And so I'm going to start out with a question. And, and you know, this kind of the part where I kind of figure out how much we're going to get along, you know, like what kind of talk back can I be expecting? I know front rows on lockdown. I know where they are coming from, but I don't know about the back row yet. So we're going to figure that out. So I'm going to ask this question. Have you ever prayed for a miracle? What's in the back now? Have you ever in the back? Have you ever prayed for a miracle? Good. All right. Have you ever prayed for a miracle? Maybe I wrote out some potential miracle prayers. Maybe it went something like this. Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll do whatever you ask. That's the miracle you need. You need a miracle for that, right? How about this? Maybe you're a student here today in the sixth grade, fifth grade, 11th grade. Our middle school's in here with us today. It's awesome. Uh, maybe you guys would, would admit uh, you've prayed something like this. Lord, you get real holy, right, when you need a miracle like this. Lord, if you let me pass this test, I'll do whatever you ask. You ever prayed anything like that, students? Just raise your hands if you have. Parents aren't going to look. They're not going to judge you for the next three seconds. Not, not, so how about this? Lord, if you just get me out of this situation with mom or dad, I promise I'll never sneak out again. All right, any students want to raise their hand on that one? You're like, man, I no, I don't. Uh, I'm raising just because he said to raise, but I'm not. How about you, parents? Maybe, how about like, if you, Lord, if you let her pass this test, we'll take her to youth group every Thursday. Every Thursday. We'll even pick them up on time because it ends at 8.30, not 9.15, okay? I'm just, just, that's just, just throwing that out there. How about this? You ever do this? Come on, God, just do this for me. Please. You ever do that? Please, please, please. I'll never, ever miss church again. I'll even come next week because I know it's more than just one week a year. I know that. I won't do that anymore, right? I promise. You pray like that because you feel like you have been backed into a corner. And so your prayer is from the standpoint of, I got nowhere else to go, so I might as well pray for a miracle. And can I just tell you, you don't have a, <laughs> you're not praying, you're playing is what you're doing. You're playing, let's make a deal with God. Anybody ever done that? Come on, let's have an Easter show of hands. Who has ever played, let's make a deal with God? How about this? Has God ever done a miracle in your life and you didn't even ask for it? He just did it. Maybe he did something you didn't see coming or you did see coming, but he still surprised you with the outcome. Has that ever happened? Oh my goodness, yes. Can I just tell you, God once did a miracle in my life that saved my life. Do you believe me? You better. You want to hear about it? 
Man, I hope, because I got it all written out, and it's good. I'm sorry. So about 20-some about years ago, I wasn't married. I was a student. No, I think I was married. It doesn't matter. Okay, I was a student at Rutgers University. I was getting a master's degree, and there was a, uh, I walked to school. I lived about, I don't know, uh, two-tenths of a mile from school, and it had snowed the night before. That's important. It had snowed the night before. In fact, it snowed every day when I lived there, I believe. Started in August and didn't end until I went back home to the south. I'm like, do you remember that year? You don't even know the year, but do you remember the year it snowed like 22 inches every Thursday night? Yeah, I do. It was awful. And so I'm walking around the sidewalk. I'm like, good grief, this is awful. And I loved, this is going to be silly, I loved this last little part of my walk. It was like a stoplight and a little turn, and there was a pole on the corner. And that seems stupid. I get it. But there was a pole on the corner. And for whatever reason, I love to lean on that pole and have my last few minutes of freedom before I crossed the road and went to class for like eight hours. That was like, this is my time. Does anybody, can you resonate with that a little bit? Like, oh, man. As soon as I cross over, I'm going to be on campus, and they're going to make me do stuff I don't want to do that I probably prayed all the way down here to pass the test. I'm about to fail. And so I'm just going to lean on this pole and just enjoy life. And I was sitting on, or leaning on the pole one morning. Some of y'all know where this is going. And a little voice told me. I wasn't really walking tight with God, to be quite honest with you, because God will save your life even when you don't ask for it. I was leaning on this pole, and a voice said, step back from the pole. And I was like, I don't want to step back from the pole. It snowed last night again, and there's like 20 inches of snow back here, and it's, I'm arguing with the voice in my head. Does anybody argue with the voice in your head? Or some of you just believe it outright? Like, ah, it's probably right. Okay, so I was like, whatever. So I step back in the mud, and I'm standing in the mud, and I look up, and a car comes right in and smacks the pole shears it off and I'm like oh my goodness and then a bus I'm not making this up a bus comes around the corner and squishes the car up against the pole and I'm standing there in the mud going I think I would have just died and I'm not kidding part of me was like look at all this mud (laughs) I told you I wasn't walking real tight with God right I'm like oh my goodness the Lord just saved my life I remember sitting in class that day thinking, did that really just happen? That was a miracle. Who thinks that was a miracle? You better all believe that it was a miracle. Here's the thing. I didn't even ask for it, but what I know now, looking back on that, I think God has done that a lot in my life because God saved me from certain doom that day and God continually protects me and his children because he has a plan for me. In church, we would say it like this. God has a redemptive plan for everyone. We love to throw the word redemptive around, redeem, right? But you don't really use that in your normal everyday life unless you got a coupon, right? I need to redeem my coupon, right? But that is kind of what it is. I mean, God is redeeming you to something better. He has a plan for you, a redemptive plan for everyone. Say with me, even me. He has a redemptive plan for everyone. Go. Even me. Even me. And I don't know what it is, and I don't know what he's going to show you this morning, but I know this, God protects us and he redeems us, and he is the best at this. He's the redeemer. Paul pointed this out. Talk about miracles. Paul pointed this out in Ephesians 2, and that's not what I'm going to preach today. We're actually going to preach on Exodus, but it's going to be a second before I get there. He says in Ephesians 2, I'm just going to hit the highlights for you. He starts out with a super encouraging word. He says, you were dead. Elbow your neighbor and say, why'd you bring me? (laughs) You were dead. 
He said, you did what you wanted. You were under the power of sin. You thought you were having fun. Anybody ever sin and it was fun? Nobody's going to admit that. Mm-hmm. It went too far. Anybody ever sin too far? Just went a little too far? Uh-huh. You had a little too much fun? I got to be careful. My mom watches the first service online, so. Then you realize you're in bad shape. You try to work your way out of it. You're miserable. You got into even more trouble. Does this, does this sound like anybody's life story? You needed a miracle to happen, didn't you? It's like, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe today you came in here and you're just leaning on the pole and you're just minding your own business. You're staying out of what you thought was the muck and mire, literally, in my case. And maybe today God's going to say, it's time to take a step back. Here's the step back moment, the miracle, if you will, in verse 4. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were doing what? Rebelling and sinning and doing whatever we wanted. Even though we were doing all those things, what did he do? He saved us. That's a miracle. Saved us, redeemed us, told us to take a step back and take a look at who he is. So I'm gonna ask you, do you believe that God has a plan for your redemption? Do you believe it? You could be thinking, there's no way he's got a plan for my redemption. There's no way he's got a plan for my problem. Maybe you think your problem's bigger. I got bigger problems than Mark. Mark, hey, my name's Mark. I got bigger problems, Mark, than leaning on a pole in the snow. I got bigger issues, right? Well, get me on this. God has a plan for your problem. Anybody got a problem today? Raise your hand if you got a problem. Man, you got problems, right? Well, we got problems. I got all kinds of problems. Let me give you something real quick you probably already know. There are people in this room right now that have been redeemed. They would say, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower, but I got problems. Anybody? Let me just get a little survey of the room, you know? It's like, like who in this room, you say, yeah, I'm a Jesus follower, man. Sold out, blood bought, all them words, justification, all them words. That's me. I'm a Jesus follower. Anybody? Two of you. Awesome. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. That means your friends invited you and they stayed at home. You're here, right? Like anybody that would say, yes, I'm a Jesus follower, but I got problems. Yeah, I got problems. Why? Listen, that's surprising to me because everything I ever hear is that once you become a believer, everything's just easy street from there on out. Is that true for you? No. I thought when you became a Christian, it was just, you know, let's just get to heaven. Everything's easy. Okay, how about this? How about this? How about this? Any Jesus followers in here 10 plus years, maybe 20, 30 years, been a believer. I just need you to have a, a total show of honesty. I want you to stand up and yell, I got problems. Let's see a little honesty in the room. There we go. Woo, this is a broke room. Okay, sit back down. Sit back down. Oh, my goodness. And dare I say, dare I say, that was quick, by the way, ma'am, and I appreciate that. She's like, I've been waiting. I've been waiting. I got problems. I got problems. And sometimes, isn't it amazing? Sometimes it's amazing to me that believers for 10, 20, 30 years, I'll sit in the room with them and I'll talk to them about their problem. And even yet, sometimes they kind of sort of, kind of sort of think that they'd like to go back to their old ways. I'm not putting that on anybody that stood up. I'm just saying that sometimes we kind of miss our old self just a little bit because you think you got too, a problem too big for God. 
or you think he'll never do that again. He'll never deliver me twice. Sometimes you don't even really think that God has a plan for your problem. So fear sets in. There's an exodus, man. There's a great story about some people who had some problems and they had some fear. And it's amazing, like this whole group of people, right? They just kind of lived like that. And we find them in the book of Exodus. And I'd ask you to flip over there. We're going to be there for a little bit. In the book of Exodus, which is ultimately about what? Exiting. (laughs) It's a little low-hanging fruit for you. But specifically, it's about Israelites exiting Egypt, the perennial bad guy in the early part of the Old Testament is the Egyptians, right? And they were in Egypt under slavery. They weren't there on vacation. They weren't taking cruises up the Nile. They were there on slavery. Bondage, 400 years, several generations of abuse and cruelty and and, and everything you can imagine. Yet, they were God's chosen people. They had the covenant there. Remember, and they redid it in Genesis 26. They repeated it. It says, to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will fulfill the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father, And so they needed a redeemer. They needed somebody to come and rescue them, to help them exit, as it were. And God did send somebody. Who did he send to them for the exit? Do you know his name? Moses. Moses, right? And God did that. He sent Moses. They asked. He answered because God has a plan for their problem. And God brought these 10 signs. You know them. I'm not going to list them. Think of them later. It's fun to think of. Frogs and gnats and all sorts of stuff. He sent those things to show that he is God. He is powerful. And these are his people. And eventually Pharaoh, who is like the bad guy in the story, he like, you know what? Let him go. Let him go. I don't want him here anymore. And so he sends them out so they can go out and worship God and get to the promised land and get on with being the chosen race. They finally exited and God put a cloud to show them where to go by day. And by night, he put fire to show them the way. Who would be cool with that? I would like that. That'd be awesome, right? Now we have a version of that. We've got the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, Jesus follower, you have better than a cloud and a fire. You have Holy Spirit. You have God who lives in you, which is pretty cool. So you do get that. But this is like, in their case, it's like God's Google Maps. And you just kind of go wherever he tells you to go. And at times, just like us, they argued with the Google map. You ever do that? You argue with your Google map? I know it says left, but clearly it's right. And then you turn right and you're like, oh, it was left. And so that's what they're doing. And you know what? They're having some progress and they're having some wins and they're starting to see, hey, this thing's gonna really work out. These promises that were made to us, I think they're actually gonna come true. And I don't know about you, but if it's just this group, there's like a million of them, right? If like me and my buddy Joe here were walking down the I was like, man, I think this thing's gonna work out. I think we're gonna get the promised land. I might be high-fiving him a little bit, you know? Like, hey, what are you gonna do when you get there? Joe's gonna be like, well, I'm gonna smoke some meat and get like a good brisket. And I'll be like, yeah, man, I think I'll live near you in the promised land. <laughs> They're starting to say, we did it. I don't have that much of a problem. Then the problem started for them. Pharaoh, who's the bad guy, Pharaoh, he starts to have some remorse. He starts to miss his workforce. Get this, man. These guys, there's millions of them for 400 years. They were the workforce in his country. They were the ones that were building everything, all the pyramids and the sphinxes. I think just one sphinx. Uh, obelisks, I don't know if they really built those things. But in my mind, that's what they were there doing. And he's like, you know what? We need them back. 
And so even though they're heading towards the promised land, Pharaoh says, go and get them. And I just got to tell you, I don't know how many times I've sat with a a believer. Maybe one of these folks has stood up for 10, 20 years. I've been a believer for 10 or 20 years. But every once in a while, I look back and what's coming after you? Your problem. Your problem is coming to get you. And he sends everything out. This says in the Bible that he sent chariots, warriors on horses, an army. What do they got? Sticks. Well, maybe we can beat them back with sticks. No, you can't. Their past is chasing them. And they are beginning to see that they got a big problem. They're going to need a miracle. It says in verse 10 of chapter 14, when when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. Do Do you see that in your head? And they did what? Ran a little harder? No. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? That's their first response. When the problem arose, like, you know what? Our old way was better. Is it because there was no graves there for us to die? That's harsh. What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone. We may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And dare I say, that's where some of you are this morning. I got a problem so big, I thought I beat it, but now it's chasing me. Honestly, it's just better to serve in bondage. We all got problems. Maybe I'd just be better off the way it used to be. Take me back to bondage, right? I mean, God brings you, some of you, man, God has brought you out of some incredible, incredible bondage. And yet, when it chases you, you sometimes feel like it's just getting so close that maybe I should just give in. Take me back. I've seen people, I've walked with people with God who've been following God for years, and then this like one little thing happens, and they say, forget it. I don't wanna do it anymore. Good church people, man. I'm telling you, people that you'd be like, that guy is awesome. He is the Ken Griffey Jr. of church, right? He didn't use steroids. He had a perfect swing. That guy's clean. And then you're like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. So we did the lights different and now you're never coming back? Well, I didn't like it. Or maybe this, you've been coming for a while, even this year. We've got a lot of first-time guests this year. It's very possible that there's people in this room. It's your first week, third week. And you've been every week feeling conviction. You know what that is? That's guilt on your sin. And where, where you think you can't get out of it is you think you're the one that's going to have to pay for it. And so you feel this conviction on your sin. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you to God. And you're like, man, oh, man, I hear this guy every week say that I need to give my life to Jesus. And you're like, this close. You're like, this close. But then this one little thing happens, and it just careens everything out of control because you looked at the dust rising in the past. You're like, oh, it's going to catch me. I think I'll just stay the way I am. I mean, look at these Israelites. They, they prayed for years for God to send a deliverer, and then he did, and then he delivered them, and then they left Egypt. And when they turned around and saw their past chasing, they were like, just take us back. We all talked. It'd be better if we just stayed there. God has a plan for your problem. He does. And so Moses said to the people in verse 13, what did he say? Fear not, 
stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work out for you when? Today. Today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, when will you see them again? Never. You'll never see them again after today. That's what God tells them. Do you think God's going to tell some of you that today? Hey, your problems, the things you don't think you're going to, fear not, stand firm. You will never see that again unless you turn around and look, unless you think that that was better. Now, what I think is interesting, God tells them through Moses, your biggest problem today isn't Pharaoh and the army. What is it? Fear. Some of you are afraid to move forward with God. And you think, oh, I know, because it'll catch, it won't. God says, fear not, stand still. In other words, know who he is. And when you do that, you will never see that again. Does that mean you won't ever be tempted again? Does that mean whatever that addiction that has a grip on you right now will never tempt you again? No, it absolutely doesn't mean that because you can ask all those people that stood up. There were 20, 30, 10-year believer. They would say, oh yeah, it, it loves to rear its ugly head back at you. So you gotta fear not and stand firm. That's the work that is in you today. I believe he's essentially saying this, stop it. Stop being afraid. Don't do that. Stand still, see that the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today, for the Egyptians in this case, whom you see, you will never see again. And I don't know about you, but if I'm standing out there, I'm starting to think, I don't know. We got a big problem. It says in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. Listen, that should be the biggest sigh of relief you have today. You are not the one that has to fight your past. The Lord will fight for you. And what do you have to do? Only to be silent. You only have to be silent. But guess what? And those of you that know the story know that maybe it's just not that easy. It's physically, geographically, they are stuck. They got the army coming behind them. They're moving this way, but what is waiting for them over here? Let's just put it out in front of us, right? They got the Red Sea in front. You guys are my ocean, right? Somebody want to sing that? Nope. Okay, that's fine. Like they got the Red Sea in front of them. They got the army bearing down behind them. And I don't know, if I was like up on the edge, I'd be like, they didn't teach us swimming in Egypt? Like Moses, you're the only one that has like any sort of experience in the river, and that was in a little basket. And they took you out like within minutes, you know, and you never taught us that. That's funnier than you guys are giving credit. And then on this side, they got the mountains and mountains. So you got like, there's no way out for them. Do you ever get into a, a situation where I hear what you're saying, God, but there's no way out? You might say, uh, if you're a chess player, right? Like you might say, we are in a checkmate situation. You know what checkmate means? means freeze the king. Anybody, any chess players in here? Gary Kasparov in here? Anybody? No? There's some great chess players, I'm sure, in the room. Brad Steiger, great chess player. Uh, Gary Kasparov, that girl from Queen's Gambit, you know? That's fictional. But she's from Kentucky in the movie, so she's great. She's great. <laughs> checkmate, right? You're in a checkmate situation. You ever feel like you're in a checkmate situation? You're like, oh, my goodness. I'm clearly outmatched, and I got no more moves and, and there's nothing I can do about it. So I guess I'm just going to die. I'm just going to give up. 
They got a checkmate problem. And I just say, I had those 10 plus year believers stand because they would say there's been moments in their life where they thought, if you could talk to them, and I hope you do, that they would say, yes, I've been in many checkmate situations in my life where I thought there was no way out. Very similar to ocean in front of me, army coming to kill me, or at least take me back. Mountains, and I can't get out. There's nothing I can do. And all God is telling me is to fear not. That he's gonna be the one that fights it. And we see all sorts of people. Maybe you don't even know Jesus yet. And you're like, I am in one of those situations. I'm in a checkmate situation. I'm stuck. And I don't think I got any moves left. Maybe today was your final move. You believe you're in checkmate. You believe there's no way out. And you need a miracle. You are cooked if you don't get a miracle. You need to hear from the Lord. But you've fallen for the lie that you got no more moves. Or, you know, maybe you say this. I've heard the versions of this. I'm in this too deep. I've done this for too long. I think I'm just gonna ride it out, see where it gets me. You ever do that? You ever have somebody like tell you or talk to you or pray for you and, and your sin gets revealed to you and you're just like, no, 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 I know it's a sin. I know I'm not supposed to be doing it, but the truth is I kind of like it. So I'm just gonna kind of see where it goes. And then God convicts you and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, I don't think there's anything that can be done for me. I've been doing this for too long. You think I've really messed up my life. I'm in a checkmate situation. And let me tell you, God is showing me and he's shown me before about rooms like this that the best way forward is to be still and remember who God is. Now, I brought up checkmate because I love the analogy of checkmate. I do play a little bit of chess. I'm not very good at it. So if you have like, you need some like cupcakes to beat, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. Toy with me a little bit though when we play. You know, make me think I'm winning. And then I, I, I heard this illustration years ago uh, from one of my favorite preachers. And that may surprise you. you know, like you guys have favorite basketball players and football players. Preachers have favorite preachers. We have like little trading cards that we collect. I got... <laughs> The Charles Spurgeon foil pack is, no, I don't have that. And one of my favorites is, is Billy Graham. You ever heard of Billy Graham? Very popular in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and the thousands. He's since passed away. But he used to tell this story, and it's Billy Graham. He doesn't lie. I think he's, uh, there's Jesus, Paul, Billy, in that order. And I don't think he's capable of lying. But, but he used to tell this story about a painting that, that he liked to look at. And it, the painting was called Checkmate. I, I brought a copy of it. We were in here all morning painting that up there. And we did it twice, so it took a long time. But um, you can see by the painting what's going on, I hope. Uh, clearly, the person on your left with the goofy feather, uh, that's, that's the devil. And he's playing a young lad, we'll call him. I don't know how young he is. And then there's an angel watching that looks a little uh, not too happy with the moves. I don't know. That face gets me. But he, he's downtrodden, and the devil is smiling because by the name of the painting shows, he has this man who they're obviously playing for their soul because in you know literature, that's what you do. And he's grinning ear to ear because he has the man cornered. He has him in checkmate. And so if you know anything about chess or hopefully contextually you kind of figured this out, like the game is over. And so Billy Graham used to say that there was these two guys that were in this museum where this painting was, was available. 
And one of them was looking at it, and the other one was tired of looking at it. That'd be like me in the story. Like, yep, that's good. Let's go. Van Gogh. I think there's some other Van Goghs. Let's just get around the corner. And this one guy just kept standing and, and staring at it and studying it. And he just happened to be an international chess champion. And this is where you're like, you sure? Yeah, Billy wouldn't lie about this. And the other guy said, hey, let's, let's move on. I don't want to look at this anymore. But the international chess champion wanted to look at it a little bit longer. And he began to study this painting. And then out of nowhere, he began yelling, it's wrong. It's wrong. The king has one more move. It's wrong. It's not checkmate. It's wrong. The king has one more move. Can I just tell you this morning, I don't know what you brought in here. Jesus isn't done with you. You may think that you are in checkmate. You may think you've got no more moves, but the king has at least one more move in your life. And so as those Israelites, maybe like this, they're standing out there and they got their heads in their hand and they're thinking, there is no way we're getting out of this. They are catching us. We got a sea, an ocean in front of us, mountains beside us, army coming. It's going to either kill us or take us back. And the Lord said to Moses in that moment, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to do what? Go forward. And I don't know about you, but if God is telling me to go forward and all I see is an ocean that I don't know how to swim, I might question that a little bit. That's certain death. He says, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on what? Dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And you know the rest of the story. What do the Israelites do? They move forward and the sea parts and they go across all of them. And then they get about halfway probably, right? And the Pharaoh catches up. And what does he say? Hey, this looks like a good path. Let's go in after them. And I'm convinced that when the last foot stepped out and the last foot stepped in, what occurs? And they never saw them again. The king has one more move. And it could be a big one. Some of you need to move forward. Some of you need to take a step back from the pole. And allow God to. <laughs> Some of you need to listen to the Lord. You're believing lies that this is all over, but the king has one more move. You're believing the lie that the enemy has told you that Jesus has no more moves left. You are stuck. Not true. If that is your painting, if that's your life that you're just looking at this morning, guess what? It's wrong. The king has one more move. It's not true. The king has one more move. You know what? We celebrate Easter today because the devil thought that he had it. He thought that he had frozen the king. He thought he had him in checkmate. Hell was laughing, weren't they? Hey, we have beat back Jesus. Now you have it. Satan thought he had him down. Satan orchestrated and executed the, the killing of Jesus Christ. Don't you think when Jesus was on the cross that Satan was wagging his head? Then I got him. Don't you think that when they took Jesus' dead body down and put it in a tomb that he was thinking, I did it. But the king had one more move. When that tomb and that stone rolled away 
I'll just tell you this. He wasn't frozen. He, he is risen. And I don't know what problem you got chasing you today. It probably chased you right to the door. Now it's trying to find you in your seat. But the king has one more move. And that move might be, might just be, to move forward. To go towards him. To repent of your sin. And receive eternal life with the king. You say, well, I don't know what my problem is. Do you remember where we started this whole thing in Ephesians? What is your problem? That you're dead. That seems like a checkmate. I'm dead. I used to be dead. But I needed a miracle and God sent his son. And miraculously, I'm alive. Even me. Even me. God has a plan for your problem. My problem and your problem is that some of you are still dead. And you think that that's just the way it's going to be, that you just got to stay that way. You think you might even be sitting there. You maybe don't have your hands folded on the outside, but they're folded on the inside. You got an eyebrow up at me right now, and you're like, ah, ah, I get it. But you're not a pretty good person. Okay, all right. I mean, I made some mistakes. I've taken some lefts when I should have gone right, but I'm a pretty good person. You know, hey, even this week, I helped everybody on our street spread mulch. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Okay, yeah, sure. Hey, there's no amount of good works that can overcome your dead problem, though. You're dead. Dead is dead. There's no half dead. Dead. You try to cover it up, though, don't you? That's the part that makes you miserable. You try to say, maybe I could just live a, such a moral life that I can overcome it. I can, I can like, you know, beat back the dead. You can't. It's like tonight, maybe some of you, uh, you will go into your refrigerator late at night. Anybody do this? Like 2 a.m. And you'll be like searching around in that fridge. You ever do that? And you see that box of food or maybe a Tupperware that you don't recognize. And you're like, that looks good. And you pull it out. And as you open it up, even though the smell hits you, you're like, eh, it's probably okay. And so you pull out that sriracha sauce and you just kind of drench it in that. You know, I'm going to cover that with a little chili sauce. And then you take a couple of bites of it and you're like, eh, not good, but it's covered. Because you think you're able to cover death. And then when you wake up in the morning sick, there's no question why, is there? I tried to cover that. Some of you are living your life like that. You're trying to cover the stench of death, the reality of death. You don't need a cover-up on your own. You need a miracle. And it says in verse 4, God being rich in mercy of Ephesians 2, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were rebelling, even when we were squirting chili sauce on top of our death, he sent his son and he saved us, redeemed us. The king has one more move. Died for my sin problem. The king has one more move. Made me whole again. It looked like I was helpless, but I wasn't hopeless. I read this once, says, you may have heard salvation described something like this. You're drowning in a sea of your own sin, and Jesus came by in a boat, and he threw the life vest out to you, and he pulled you on board and saved you. That's good. We hear that, and we like that. We like to amen things like that, and that sounds great, but this is not the gospel. Here's the gospel. You ready? The gospel is that you weren't just drowning in a sea of your sin. You weren't drowning. You were dead, and you were laying face down, floating in your own sin. 
And Jesus came by and he pulled your lifeless body out of the water and he breathed eternal life into you. And all you need to do is receive it. He has a plan for your problem. And so I wanna pray with you right now. I wanna ask you right now that maybe, just maybe, this is why God brought you here this morning. That maybe, just maybe, there's something bigger going on in your life that maybe, just maybe, it's time to stop trying to cover it up and receive the miracle that God has for you today. Maybe he's saying you need to step back from the pole because certain death is coming at you. Will you listen? Maybe he says you need to step forward because certain death is chasing you, but you will never see it again when you give your life to him. The great news is this. The Bible says all over, and we believe this with all our hearts, that if I confess my sin, this is how you take that step forward, friends. If I confess my sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive me. I don't have to go convince him. I don't have to grovel. I just confess. Confess that he is Lord. Confess that I believe that God sent his son Jesus because he had a one big move left. And that move today is for you. And the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old one is gone. He doesn't just tweak you. He makes you brand new. Father, as we pray today with all my friends here, if we pray today and online as we pray today, I know that you want every man, woman, child, grandma, grandpa, uncle, aunt, cousin, brother, sister, mom, dad, if I already said it, sorry. We know that you want every single one of them to be in a saving relationship with you because of the great love with which you love them. And in this moment, God, I ask in everything in me for you to show them your one last move in this moment. And if there is anyone here that says, this is the day that I step forward. This is the day that I receive salvation and become a Jesus follower. Would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray with you. I'm gonna show you a way to do it. Amen, amen, amen. I see you guys, probably people online too. I don't see you, but I I feel you. I wanna show you what to do. Here's how you pray right now. You say, dear Jesus, you can talk to Jesus. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. That's you confessing. That's you saying, I did it. I believe that you came in humility for me. You died on the cross. You were buried in a tomb. You rose from the dead. And today I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me. I receive your forgiveness. Be my savior. Be my Lord. From this day forward, I will follow you.